In Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island, Long John Silver's parrot, Captain Flint, would say with great rapidity, pieces of eight, pieces of eight, pieces of eight, till you wondered that it was not out of breath, or until John threw his handkerchief over the cage, as the novel tells us. This classic story has captivated generations of adults and children alike. It has also linked the coins and the parrots to fictional depictions of pirates to this day. So whilst great pirate stories have forever linked pieces of eight with their owners and their seafaring bounty, where does the term come from and what were they for? That is a tale of wonder. Let's find out. I'm Leanne Walker and this is Wonder, the show where each week I bring you tales of wonder and curiosity from across the globe about the people, places and events that shape our daily lives. Thanks for being here. It's not just thanks to Captain Flint that pieces of eight are a true wonder, for the Real de Aucho, the Spanish piece of eight, was the first truly global currency. This silver coin with its high purity, also later known as the Spanish dollar, so-called because of its likeness to the Dutch Leuvendalder or German Thaler, became famous not just because it was recognised across the world as a true currency or because of its link to pirates, but because of the wealth it brought to the Spanish nation. It was produced by Spain in huge quantities and was circulated across Asia, Europe, Africa and the Americas, establishing a global dominance that it was to maintain well into the 19th century. Following Christopher Columbus's discovery of the Americas and Vasco da Gama's discovery in 1499, he was the Portuguese explorer and the first European to find a trade route to India. Spain now became all-powerful. The story began earlier, however, in late 1494, when Spain and Portugal divided the New World between them in the Treaty of Tordesillas. This was aimed at settling disputes between the two countries about the newly discovered lands by Columbus and others. The two nations agreed that they would settle their disputes by dividing the world up. They drew a line on the map of the world in the Atlantic Ocean between the Americas and Africa. So everything to the west of the line belonged to Spain, everything to east to Portugal. So North and South America fell to Spain, except for the eastern corner of South America, Brazil, which fell to the Portuguese. Spain did well out of the treaty. Spanish power was established in Central America, including Panama, and the north and western coasts of South America, after the conquest of the Aztecs by Hernán Cortés, the son of a Spanish nobleman in the 1520s. The success of Cortés over the Aztecs led to an unprecedented period of European expansion in the Americas. Well into the 18th century, Spain conquered territory after territory until it became the largest empire in the world for a time. The Spanish Main, the north coast of South America, and the islands yielded pearls, gold and gemstones. Aztec gold had been what had drawn the Spanish to America, but what made them rich there was silver. Their conquest of the Americas led to an increase in the mining of silver that dramatically eclipsed anything that had come before that time. All of this came from a chance happening in the 1540s in Potosi, then still part of Peru, now Bolivia, and it was that that put the Spanish on the silver map. In 1545, a native Peruvian named Diego Hualpa discovered the richest silver deposit the world has ever known, 
the Cerro Rico, or Rich Hill, high in the mountains. Diego Hualpa had been working for a European overseer at the nearby mines of Porco, the main source of silver for the recently toppled Inca Empire. It was while travelling between Porco and La Plata that Diego was told to search for an Incan shrine. It was thought to be high up a mountainside. He found the shrine and carried some part of it down the mountain to take back to show his bosses. But, as the legend goes, as he descended the mountain, he lost his footing and to protect himself, he grabbed at the hillside and dug his arm into the side of the hill. There, beneath the soil, he discovered rich silver ore, something he was familiar with from his work at Porco. Diego wrapped some of the precious metal in his blanket and carried it off to be assayed. Shortly after this find, the city of Potosi appeared, one of the world's highest over 13,200 feet, just over 4,000 metres above sea level. Over the next 250 to 300 years, more than 40,000 tonnes of silver were shipped out of Potosi, and this meant that Bolivia, Peru and Mexico within the Americas accounted for over 85% of world silver production and trade. Given its extraordinary productivity, Potosi was rightly regarded the treasury of the world, at least for a time. The Potosi mines produced the raw material which made Spain rich, but it was a Potosi mint that laid the foundations of a global currency. The real, as a standardised coin, had been introduced by King Pedro I of Castile back in the mid-14th century, but the first eight real pieces were minted in Mexico in the mid-16th century. As the Spanish coins were minted in silver and based on a standard weight, and with the need for fractional currency for ease of trade, the pieces were often physically cut into eight pieces. It's thought that it is this divisibility into eight which caused the silver coins to be named pieces of eight. Documents from the Spanish crown had referred to coins valued at eight reals as worth a peso, or weight in Spanish. Eight reales was equivalent to one silver peso, or Spanish dollar, the large silver coin. Within a few years of discovering the Potosi mines, silver from Spanish America began to pour across the Atlantic, growing to nearly 3 million kilos a year in the 1590s. In the economic history of the world, nothing on this scale had ever happened before. The King of Spain, Charles I, crowned in 1516, who was the nephew of Henry VIII's first wife, Catherine of Aragon, became Holy Roman Emperor Charles V in 1519. He bestowed the special title of Imperia Villa upon Potosi in recognition of its enormous yield of silver in a great time of need. Few colonial products were of greater interest to the King of Spain than silver and gold. From the start, taxes on Potosi silver helped bankroll the Emperor's many wars against France, the Ottoman Empire and elsewhere. The wars were a constant drain on the country's finances and Spain maintained trade deficits with the rest of Europe and paid for it in silver coins. This, coupled with the increase in the production and supply of silver and other metals, caused a long period of inflation. Prices rose at least fourfold in Spain over the course of the 16th century. Despite its access to new world silver, Spain became increasingly unable to service its war debts. From the early 16th century, a 20% tax called the King's Fifth, or Quinto Real, was levied on the mining of all precious metals and gemstones. Following Potosi's find, the income generated from Quinto Real 
was a major source of Crown revenue for centuries. With the silver from Potosi, the circulation of Spanish silver was not just limited to Europe. They also had an Asian empire based in the Philippines, and pieces of eight were soon crossing the Pacific in huge numbers. A Spanish settlement was established in the Philippines in 1565, and soon a busy trade route developed. When they arrived in Manila, they immediately began trade with Chinese and Philippine merchants, once again exchanging New World silver for silk, spices and porcelain. With this trade, the Spanish silver dollar became a true global currency. These trade links ultimately led to European trade domination of the world, and their control over silver allowed this dominance to be achieved and maintained. Eventually, in the 17th century, Spain repeatedly defaulted on sovereign debts and went into decline. Many bankers and traders were ruined by the defaults. The political and economic centre of gravity now shifted north to Holland, France and Britain. They would by turns come to dominate world trade in the 17th, 18th and 19th centuries. Such vast wealth and power for the Spanish came at a very heavy price for the people and workers of the Potosi mines. Potosi is one of the most inaccessible parts of South America. The altitude, the cold and the harsh conditions all made the mining dangerous and back-breaking work. Using a series of hydraulic mills, silver ore was mined from the mountain. The silver was then extracted from the ore through the amalgamation with mercury. The extracted silver was moulded into bars or coins which became the pieces of eight and stamped with the mark of the royal mint. But the silver mines required so much labour that by the 17th century the population of this village had grown to approximately 150,000 making it a major city by European standards of the day. Many thousands of the indigenous people were forced to work at the mines, where many perished through accidents, brutal treatment or poisoning by the mercury used in the extraction process. Also, in the freezing high altitude of the mountains, pneumonia was a constant danger. Indeed, to increase productivity in 1572, the Viceroy of Toledo instituted the Ley de la Mita, a system of obligatory servant work that required all indigenous and African slaves over the age of 18 to work in shifts of 12 hours. These miners, who came to be known as Matayos, didn't last long. Over 12,000 Matayos were expected to be in Potosi at any given time, and records show that for several decades this level was maintained. In all, it's estimated that over the almost three centuries of colonial rule, as many as 200,000 Africans and indigenous Peruvians died from the appalling conditions. Work continued throughout, but in the early 19th century, the region was to face another test. During the Bolivian War of Independence between 1809 and 1825, Potosi changed hands several times between the Royalists and the Patriots. Spain had no intention of letting go of its grip on the town that had made it rich. A gruelling war gave Bolivia their independence, but Potosi was in ruins. By the time of independence in 1825, the mines of Cerro Rico were almost exhausted. Its population dwindled to around 9,000, its riches were looted or transported to Spain and other places, and its mining industry was decimated. It wasn't until decades later that it recovered slightly thanks to the international need for tin, which until that time had been a greatly underappreciated metal. In the late 19th century, because of the global industrial growth, 
the interest shifted from silver to tin, zinc and other base metals. Potosi Cerro Rico and many other mining districts in Bolivia possessed these in abundance. With the high prices being paid for this metal worldwide, Potosi became Bolivia's economic centre until the end of the Second World War. Spanish pieces of eight or Spanish dollars continued to be the key currency used in world trade right through the 19th century. In fact, they remained legal tender in the United States until the Coinage Act of 1857, long after Spain had ceased to be a major power. On December 11, 1987, UNESCO declared the city of Potosi a World Heritage Site, in recognition of its rich history and its wealth of colonial architecture, which the city has worked hard to preserve. With its narrow streets, beautiful temples and museums with unique and priceless objects, Potosi is an attractive tourist destination. And of course, the rich hill, Cerro Rico, after five centuries of exploitation and the drilling of thousands of tunnels deep into its interior, continues to produce silver. Visitors to the city and the region can tour some of the mining tunnels with a guide. So, these silver coins, these Spanish pieces of eight, that were one of the foundation stones of the modern world, live on in history and in fantasy pirate stories. I leave you as we started with the words from Robert Louis Stevenson and the final line of Treasure Island. The bar silver and the arms still lie for all that I know where Flint buried them and certainly they shall lie there for me. Oxen and wain ropes would not bring me back again to that accursed island and the worst dreams that I ever have are when I hear the surf booming about its coasts or start upright in bed with the sharp voice of Captain Flint still ringing in my ears. Pieces of eight, pieces of eight. Thanks for listening. To find more information about the show, the show notes, links and sources, head on over to www.injustoneday.com forward slash pieces of eight. To find out about any of the other episodes, visit www.injustoneday.com forward slash wonder. Keep in touch via social media or email hello at injustoneday.com. But until next time, have a great day.